I'm working on it. I'm working on it. That's the first time I listened to the music, um, to the instrumental without the words. So uh, one of my um, soul sisters who has a an amazing, um, sultry voice um, challenged me to uh, sing this song, <laughs> at least just like the introduction to it. And it's funny to me because I'm not a singer, right? I'm a comedian, um, but what I am is a good sport, right? And so um, uh, building relationships is not always about being the best at doing something. Sometimes it's about um, showing your vulnerability to the audience and, and the people who know you and want to support you. And so even though I'm not a singer, <laughs> um, I am, I'm, I'm going to attempt the introduction um, to this song. And so, um, hold on. Um, so we'll see how it turns out. It, it will not, um, it won't, I don't plan to attempt it today, but um, I think, so this is the first time I've listened to the in instrumental, and I think what um, the instrumental allowed me to do was to find my key, right? Because when I listen to you, it's your key, <laughs> and I'm not a soprano, even though people um, keep trying to make me a soprano. I am not a soprano, um, and... Of, and music soul child is is his key is not my key and so um i think the instrumental uh offered me the ability to to find my key and so that's um that's the in instrumental for music soul child um love and so there that is and um so good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, this is comedian Tanola Oliver, and this is the Making of the Mogul podcast, where the dream is free, but the hustle, the hustle, the hustle is sold separately. And um, I am just, I'm really humbled um, by how many of you all tune in and listen to me, particularly here lately. Um, you've been tuning in daily and um, pushing the numbers to the podcast, and I'm humbled, and um, I uh, truly um, do appreciate it. Uh, we um, have been unpacking the professional edit of the 21, um, 21 questions. Um, if you've already been following the podcast, you know that I did the um the comedic version of 21 questions um, and then followed up with the comedic version of 21 questions. I also did a comedy um, skit, an audible comedy skit entitled, You Ain't Never Had a Baby Mama Like Me. <laughs> so um, if you have the opportunity, go back and, and listen to those. And um, so uh, we... Um, we're talking about um, business, right? 
economic development, um, communication, leadership. Um, those are the things that we've been unpacking for the past several weeks. And um, I am excited about um, that um, you all have offered me um, the opportunity to be able to um, revisit some of these topics that I've researched in the past, right? So what what's going on in the lab, right? What's in the lab? What is... Um, what is Elect Leadership Academy working on now? So we're working on a report for 2023, and um, it is the State of Leadership Report for 2023. And, uh, well, it, it's a reflection of um, the research that we were able to unpack in 2020. Uh, what does it, um, what is the tone of it? What is the, what are the topics within the report? Um, the topics in the report uh, unpack um, um, crime uh, against women in suburbia, organized crime against women in suburbia, and then we are also unpacking uh, some elements of leadership. And so um, I'm excited about providing that report. And so when we talk about some elements of leadership, I'm specifically pointing to um, subject matters such as resiliency and the human spirit's ability to, the human spirit's innate ability to recover in specific environments, right? Safe spaces. And so this was not the direction I intended to go today, but this is where the way I feel a pool and a draw. And so um, oftentimes when we talk about um, uh, when we talk about therapy, we think of it in a perspective of an individual in a room with a therapist and unpacking and divulging the past events of an individual's life, right? That's how we that's how we define therapy today. So as a leadership and a communication expert, I am creating a model for the workforce that allows people, particularly adults and workspaces, the ability to heal in safe spaces. So, um, so if I had to coin a term, I would offer it the title of environmental engineering, right? And um, not in the, the sense of 
the environment outside of buildings, but the environment inside of buildings. And since we relatively spend a lion's share of life in workspaces, they shouldn't be toxic environments, right? If we want to continue to push the narrative that medicine and science has been able to improve the quality of life and the longevity of life, to continue to lean into that narrative, um, I think we need to add the ability to reduce stress um, and to reduce toxic environments within the workspace because we spend a considerable amount of time um, in the office. And so, um, and, and here is the thing is that we have the ability to do that Um, just by exercising common sense and and appreciation for people as individuals, right? And so we've continued, we're, we're really pushing, pushing, pushing the topic of diversity and equity and inclusion. And so I think... Um, what is missing from that discussion is um, we haven't talked enough about culture. Now, mind you, again, I'm not a diversity expert. Um, My expertise is leadership and communication. Unfortunately, every now and again, I have to defer to the topic of diversity because as individuals, we bring a diverse amount of experiences to the table, right? And so um, one of those, so as an African-American woman or Black woman, there's an intersectionality of diversity that I bring to the table because of my race. Um, There's a diversity that I bring to the table um, because I'm a woman, right? And, And there was a time um, in history when women were not allowed to participate um, in the workforce. And then once we were um, granted the grace um, to participate in the workforce, there were still very specific layman's um, positions that we had to participate in, but not necessarily in leadership. And so um, in a room, Um, my intersectionality brings into that space, me as a woman and um, me as a black woman. What I've been introducing as a notion um, is that uh, place me in a room of women who, um, black women who, um, Uh, Black women, and there is still a component of diversity that I bring into a space, and that is um, the unpacking of my my journey of mentorship, which is that um, my healthy mentor relationships were from men who uh, mentored me, strictly platonic relationships, And they seen something within me as a leader and they decided to take the extra time 
um, to build me as a leader and to build my expertise um, in how I see people from a high level perspective and how to manage people, personalities and environments to ensure that I was able to um, receive the optimum amount of production for each individual, um, meeting them at a space and place where they happen to be in life, right? And so that is um, uh, in a room full of people who look like me um, demographically, that is still the diversification that I bring into a room. And I think um, it is time when we talk about diversity and we begin to unpack to- topics such as toxic uh, um, femininity, that uh, we need to introduce um, uh, areas of difference um, as, as women so that we can be embraced in um, how we provide diversity in a space, right? Um, experiences um, is definitely a diversification, right? Because it is our experiences that we have the ability to um, process through the lens and the perspective of how we see other people and how we see ourselves in relation to others. And so um, diversity is all about perspective. And so one of those things that um, we, um, we must introduce is culture, right? And so um, culture is, is a huge proponent as it relates to diversity. Um, and there is, um, there is a vast, um, range of culture. For example, if, um, I was raised in an urban area where, um, gang, uh, violence, um, was part of the culture, right? And the way that we were able to um, recognize one another, the tribes, right? Gangs really at the end of the day is nothing but um, tribal association, right? And so, and, and Black people, inherently we are tribal people and that will always be instilled in us from generation to generation because we, um, it is, um, it is our, spiritual nature that um, we are tribal people as Blacks, right? And so um, as a Black individual, a Black woman, um, as a person that tribal association is embedded in my DNA, um, we um, cultivated that in neighborhoods across the United States of America when we were denied the opportunity to participate in um, mainstream society, right? So an underground culture was created um, to sustain, right? Uh, Urban America and pockets of the world where black people had been um, overlooked, right? And so um, due to 
the innate ability to form tribes and our innate ability to um, overcome obstacles. Uh, these tribes, which the modern day word that they've offered these tribes um, is gangs. Um, but if we uh, date back to a time period where um, the Black Panthers existed uh, and some of the other organizations, the Black Panthers was not the the only organized organization that um, policed, that self-policed um, neighborhoods, but they, um, they were the most prominent, right? Uh, and the most well-respected, um, if we could say that. And so um, their primary purpose was to, to self-police neighborhoods, um, to feed children, um, to ensure that single mothers uh, had everything that they needed, uh, and, and things of the children were um, receiving tutoring and excelling in academic environments and supporting education and um, uh, finding ways to create grocery stores uh, within our neighborhoods. Like that is really um, where the essence of gangs was derived from. Um, in urban areas throughout uh, America. And it was not until the introduction um, of crack cocaine that, um, that there was a breakdown of um, those tribes becoming criminal entities, right? And so um, it, it, it was an agenda. But at the end of the day, um, when we talk about gangs, really, I want people to start to process the notion that gangs is a way that Black people have organized themselves into tribes in order to sustain themselves in um, the formation of an underground America uh, because we were shut out of mainstream um, America and uh, the ability to represent ourselves uh, in economic fortitude and sustainability. And so uh, when we talk um, along those lines, um, it is a culture, right? It, it is a culture um, within urban America. But here is the thing. So if um, by opportunity an individual is able to um, to push their lives to, um, or elevate their lives to a place where they no longer have to exist, um, within the tribal association of, um, of the, uh, underworld of America, right? And they find themselves in a place, uh, within mainstream employability, they still bring a culture with them, right? They still bring a culture with them. And, uh, and, and so one of the ways that uh, within this particular underground, within America of association is uh, colors, right? Uh, colors play a huge proponent. And so if I was from a tribe, right, that wore um, all black, to associate uh, themselves um, as a tribe, I don't get to take that notion, right, into a workplace environment and then assume 
that everyone that is wearing the color black is somehow from where I'm from, right? And and they think the way I think. Like if I if there's another black person um, in my workspace, um, I don't get the opportunity to assume because they wear the color black all the time. Um, that they existed in the space where I used to exist in um, before making that shift right into mainstream America, right? I don't get to make that association and that assumption. Um, and neither do I um, have the right to push um, my uh, culture um, on another individual because it is, we live in America, right? We live in America. And each person, when we talk about diversity, it means that I can bring who I am into an environment respectfully, right? Um, but at the same time, find a balance between who I am and not um, attempting to pull people um, into my perspective and how I process. So the diversity that I bring to the table is that this is how I see things, right? That's the diversity. Here's the lens and the perspective in which how I see and how I process things. Um, but it is only entitlement if I assume I have the right to put and how I see and process things is, is, is culture-based, right? And what I don't um, have uh, the uh, right to do and really is entitlement is the attempt to push um, my culture on another individual who is innocently, right, just um, showing up to work every day and has um, not communicated with me or had any conversations with me to understand or to know why I process things the way that I process things. And neither is it their responsibility um, to have to change their mindset to my mindset. Um, because we live in the, these United States of America and we all have a right um, to function in our own culture. And so the thing is about workspaces is that who I am doesn't stop at the door, right? I bring my culture into a workspace that helps me to provide diversity into the environment. Um, but it is only entitlement that makes me think that anybody in my space has to see and process things the way that I see it. It is my uniqueness that I bring my culture. It is my responsibility um, not to push my culture and my ideologies on other people. Um, it is only my responsibility as an employee in an environment to provide my perspective, to move the needle forward on um, a diversified perspective in whatever respective field that I operate in. And so that is part of the conversation um, that I think we've been leaving out as it relates to di diversity. Like we've um, we've made it a um, a conversation um, about, um, and I and I don't want to use the word, um, but diversity has become a political conversation. It really has. 
Um, but I think this is an opportunity and an, an, an excellent time period um, uh, in, 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 in the universe, right? There's an excellent time period in the world um, to begin to define diversity um, as a right to represent my culture, um, but a responsibility not to push my culture on another individual, right? This that is coexisting in my environment. Who I am, what I feel, and how I process is my responsibility. That belongs to me. And each one of us has the responsibility and the right um, uh, to represent our culture without um, in, uh, pushing it or trying to intimidate people um, to participate in the culture that we exist in. And so um, that's part of that conversation that I think um, will make it easier um, for workspaces to be safe, right? Because workspaces are supposed to be safe for everybody. Workspaces are not supposed to be safe only for specific demographics of people, right? Um, workspaces should be safe for everybody. And so we make them safe by not pushing um, the culture that we exist in before we walk through the door and into the workspace on people who exist in the workspace with us, right? Um, Jewish people have a right to bring um, who they are into an environment. Uh, Muslims have a right to bring who they are into an environment. Christians have a right to bring who they are into an environment. Um, I don't get to, to force people to say praise the Lord to me, right? Um, Muslims don't get to force people to say assalamu alaikum, right? Um, Jewish people don't get the right um, to... Uh, make people, uh, well, Muslims play, pray several times a day too. So there, there is concession, right? So if a, a Muslim prays, um, well, how many times a day they pray? Five times a day. Um, so there's a concession given to them to, um, to remove themselves from the work environment and go into whatever space they utilize for meditation and pray, how many ever times a day they get to pray, but they don't get to shut down the entire office um, so that we all have to be quiet and be still while they pray, right? Like it, diversity is about common sense, right? Like you don't get to pull me into your culture, right? Because I represent my own culture and I don't have to deny my culture and my identity in order for you to feel okay in a space with me. Otherwise, that is that that's not diversity. That's oppression, right? Um, and that's a that's a conversation that we absolutely unequivocally um, have to begin to um, we have to begin to unpack it and talk about it um, safely in safe spaces um, that we talk about diversity. And so, anyhow, um, moving right along. Um, what is my number two um, thing that I want to ask?
ask today to professionals, executives, um, moguls who have um, had the ability to parlay their lives into the um, highest functions of their of their particular um, fields. So one moment. And so, as I mentioned, um, Elect Leadership Academy is creating a model um, that allows people um, to heal, right? To heal, um, f- to heal in workspace- workspaces, and really, it's just common sense. It really is just basic common sense things that, for whatever reason, um, we have not been exercising them in the workforce. Um, because there has been this barbaric mentality of really attempting to prevent people from the ability to provide from their families, right? And I think that anybody that has that mindset um, uh, doesn't need to be in a work a work uh, a workspace, really. Um, and so um, I'm disgusted by it, right? Uh, But anyhow, we're creating a model that allows people to be able to function and heal um, in workspaces. And it is, um, I believe that it is the direction that the workforce is moving into because people are opting out of the workspace. Um, There is a push for the building of small businesses. And so with the push of uh, uh, small businesses in America, which really is um, the economic base of this nation, really, is innovation and small businesses, right? Um, Sam Walton uh, started out as a small business, right? Um, I could name uh, Walgreens started out as a small business. Um, FUBU started out as a small business, um, I could name so many, um, uh, famous Amos cookies, right. Started out as a small business, um, Apple or Microsoft started out in a garage as a small business, right. And so it is small business really is the heartbeat of this nation and why the economic, uh, fortitude of this nation has uh, been able to sustain itself for many, many um, centuries. It is because of the um, the innovative nature of who we are, right, and creativity. And we've done that as Americans, and we've done that um, by inviting um, foreigners into this country, right? And so innovation has been cultivated through um, Americans and through uh, people who have moved um, to this nation from other spaces. And so um, it is it is imperative that we find a way to cultivate safe spaces and workplaces because people um, uh, the creativity of people um, 
have been finding ways to opt out of the workforce. And so it is impossible for a company, right? Higher level executives are plugged in um, because it is, um, they're paying attention, right? Because the the workforce is shifting and um, there is no easier time than right now than to build wealth. And people are finding ways to do that and creating their own cultures and their own ways of um, sustaining their lifestyles, either through small businesses, relocating out of the country, um, or or people are moving off grid, moving into um, rural spaces and living off the land and using solar power and like um, sustainable energy and I mean, like people uh, are really finding ways not to have to be plugged in into the toxicity of what has been unfolding in workspaces for um, for decades. And um, and so it's time for, uh, the corporate responsibility of organizations to say, um, we need to revamp this and not from a perspective of let's just throw money at it and, and pretend like we're doing something about it. Cause that's what we've done with, that's what a lot of organizations have done with diversity throughout the years. Um, but it's time to say, uh, we really need to fix this in order for companies to survive and to continue to thrive and to continue to empower employees to live a healthy life. And so when we talk about the notion of work-life balance, while that doesn't really exist, right? That's a notion somebody introduced and coined the term, but it doesn't really exist. What the real work-life balance is, is that you find a place to work where there is balance and um, equity of your culture, right? And that you don't have to walk into a space and take on somebody else's culture um, in order to survive in that space, right? Um, And so that's that. That's all I'm going to say about that. And... um, So number two, if I was having a conversation with some of the highest functioning moguls in their respective field, what is it that I would want to know? Um, And this is along the, um, within the same vein of what we've talked about this morning. And that's what's your non-negotiable value that you take with you? Like what is the, so when you make it to um, a place in um, in life occupationally where you literally um, have the ability to point and people um, respond at your pointing and um, people move uh, to to whatever it is that you, you're the commander in chief, right? Of 
whatever it is that you've built, right? To become a mogul in that particular space. Um, what is it that is, and people sometimes refer to them as deal breakers. Um, I like the term non-negotiable um, because a deal breaker means that there was a deal uh, between two entities. We found um, a point within the discussion or the dialogue that we that both entities have to walk away, right? Um, and um, in my years and years of negotiation, um, there's always a way to do a deal, right? There's always a way to do a deal. Um, and so that's why uh, it's important to sit down and have conversations and to enter business discussions with people that have a reverence and a respect for who you are and what you do and what you bring to the table before you sit down, right? Um, and I think that that is what my reputation has been able to afford me, is that um, by the time I sit down, that there's always there's already a reverence for my work ethic. That um, there's already an assumption that we're going to figure this out, right? We're going to find a way to do this. It's not a matter of if we're going to do it or not going to do it. Um, we just need to find an amicable way to do it that we both walk away feeling as if. Um, the solution was equitable. I remember one time um, doing a deal, um, a real estate deal with um, um, another woman that was in real estate. And I had a conversation with my client and I said the nature and the spirit of the deal would doesn't would not be something that I would want to enter into because I just don't like the um, the the language around the deal. I don't like um, the pushing of the terms around the deal. Um, I don't like the um, aggression around the terms and um, the inability for it to appear um, in its simplest form to you. And it was my recommendation. And this is probably, I've only had to do this with a client maybe three times maybe not even that much, maybe two times. Um, and I said to her, if I were you, <laughs> um, I would find another property because I don't like, when I do things, I need to be able to feel some ease and settlement, um, a settling in my spirit. And I don't feel that way about this deal. 
Now, here's the terms of it. Um, the terms um, are their natural terms. There is no um, what it appears to be underhanded creativity, right? To benefit one person more than the other. Um, but it's just not in its simplest form to me. And um, she decided to do the deal anyway. But that's, but that's in all of my years of doing contracts and negotiation, that's, it's, that's only happened to me two times because people who do unethical business stay away from me, right? People who do unethical business don't even, they don't even approach me. Um, and they don't approach the people that I represent if they know that I'm representing them. Um, because there is a, there's a moral compass that I bring to everything I do. And, um, I don't like seeing people taken advantage of. I don't like people walking away feeling like, um, that they lost more than they were able to retrieve. Right. And because it's just, that's not the kind of business I do. And it's just a, it's a, it's an eerie feeling. Um, it, 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 it's just an eerie feeling. Um, and, um, it, it's just not how I do business. I, and I, I wish I could find a way to articulate it. Um, um, but it's instinctive, right? And people who, um, have that cutthroat, um, um, uh, in um, unethical um, morality about them, they don't fool with me. They don't want me in their circles. They don't want me at their tables. They don't want me in their rooms um, because people like me can uh, can see through them and um, not intentionally, right? I don't walk into a room and decide to judge everybody in the room, right? Um, it's just a, it's a sense. Um, and I'm reading a book right now that talks about, um, that talks about instincts and, and, and innate, um, um, ability to sense corruption and evilness in people. Right. And it, 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 as a native American, the book really is talking about connectivity to, um, to the spaces that we exist in and how that starts in nature. Right. Um, and then we bring that Nate, that instinctive nature um, into spaces with us. And um, people uh, like oftentimes and I'll say this sounds so weird and strange. And so um, I'll say it and you can process it how you want to process it. And then we won't we won't ever talk about it again. <laughs> um, but um, I can um, if I, if I, um, if I've been meditating in prayer and encounter a dog that may be barking or acting out of character, and I walk into the proximity of where that dog is, that dog heals and just sits and stares at me. Um, 
that is not because I'm like some supernatural. No, 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 no. That is my connectivity to nature, right? And who is closer to nature than animals, right? Um, and so we bring that instinctive nature of who we are into environments. And at the end of the day, we are all mammals, right? We're animals, right? Um, and so it is that instinctive value that operates within us. And so sometimes you have to stop processing um, things that occur that um, uh, that uh, that it appeared that you were not able to be a part of. Sometimes that is uh, that's protection, right? Um, because uh, there is something about you that propels the energy that exists within. And, I, and y'all know I hate to use the word energy, but I try not to be so spiritual on here. Um, really, it's, it's a spirit, right? But y'all refer to it as energy. And so just for the sake of sim- simplistic understanding, we'll say energy, right? And so um, it, it really is protection. It really isn't protection, there are spaces that you just absolutely had no business existing in um, because it didn't line up with morally and ethically who you are um, and the value base that you bring to an environment. And in order for you to be able to sleep at night and look at yourself in the mirror, um, there were spaces that you could not enter into um, because of who you are and what you represent. And so um, sometimes you, you, um, you walk through these periods of, um, of waiting, right? And, and it's not, uh, waiting as in, um, not waiting as in, not in terms of waiting for something to happen for you but waiting for you to encounter the opportunity that was God ordained for you. And so the, the, why, why did we just celebrate Rosh Hashanah and, um, Yom Kippur? Because I said that I felt, um, that, uh, we needed, right. A celebration. And so the, the good news is, is that your waiting period, your holding period is over with. Right. And so, um, in business deals, oftentimes there's holding periods uh, before people can enter into an agreement if they um, were just released from another agreement um, so that um, the last agreement terms um, doesn't uh, in, infect uh, the new agreement, right? And so um, there, there was a time period that you had to wait um, because uh, there were um, there were some contracts that took place in the realm of the spirit um, that you was on your life. You couldn't enter into that, that space, right? And so um, the, the waiting period, the holding period um, has come to an end. And so you're walking into a season of continuous, um, continuous open uh, opportunities to enter into ethical and moral um, agreements that sit right with who you are and what you represent in the earth. 
And so um, all I wanted to do was bring number two, but today is Sabbath, right? And so that's how we, here we are and that's what happened. And so um, number two is what's your non-negotiable value that you take with you? What is that non-negotiable, right? Um, That in order for us to do this deal, this is what I know um, that needs to be represented in this deal in order for me to place um, my signature on it, right? Um, Not talking about deal breakers because, um, not talking about deal breakers because we we just had a full conversation about uh, some people don't even bother with enter into agreements or doing business with you because they know, right? Um, So by the time you make it to the table, it's two people um, that know that they are of um, sane, um, morality and uh, light-mindedness. So it's not about deal breakers. It's just about what do we both, um, despite that we have different cultures and come from different parts of the world, um, what do we both have to have uh, in this agreement that's a non-negotiable with who I am in order for this deal to work, in order for me to walk away feeling that I've done right Um, by myself, by my brand, by my family, and by the representation of the constituents of the people um, that this agreement is supposed to represent. All right. I'll talk to you later. Peace.